This episode of Stamets Say What is brought to you by Akamai. Akamai is the world's largest distributed edge compute platform. To deliver and protect your digital experiences worldwide, tap into Akamai for its unrivaled intelligence, performance, and scalability. Follow us on Instagram at, at Akamai Careers. That's A-K-A-M-A-I Careers. Hi, I'm Amory Maffedon, CEO and head Stemet at Stemets. And I'm Carla Rosario, and this is Stemets Say What? In each episode, we'll meet a different expert to discuss what it's really like to break into the field of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, and also STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. Understanding your position within the office, I think that is probably one of the most important things. Who you are in the office, what your job description is, and who's going to help you to be successful in the job that you're doing. And this week's guest is Mimi Nwosu, and she'll be answering our four what's on what to expect as a graduate in the job market. We'll also discuss concrete, yes, you heard me right, office structures and personality tests. So hi, Mimi. First, I want to take you back to the moment that you realised you wanted to pursue a career in STEM. I remember wanting a career in STEM in 2018. Originally, I went to uni wanting to study medicine. So I've grown up, my mum's a nurse and my dad's in property development. So in that sense, I've always known about STEM careers. I've always known about science. So I wanted to be a doctor simply because my mum was a nurse and I was really interested in her line of work, very interested in ER, very interested in Holby City and all of those programmes that you see on television. Unfortunately, I didn't make the grades at A-level to study medicine at university. So being desperate to go to university and being with all my friends and just wanting to kind of get into the buzz of being there, not being left behind, I decided to go to university, study a course I wasn't very interested in. It was kind of like a prerequisite for medicine. It was like a completely science-related course. I think it's about six months later after doing that course, I realised I really really don't like this. And I said, okay, if I'm not interested in this, there was no way I was going to be interested in medicine. At that time, I thought, okay, what am I going to do next? Not really knowing what options are available, not really knowing anything about other courses. I decided I was going to drop out of university. But then on my way to dropping out, I had a really great chance encounter with a friend who took me to one of his lectures and he studied civil engineering. And long story short, after that, I fell in love with the design of bridges and the mathematics behind designing bridges. So 15 minutes after that, I decided to change the university and study civil engineering at the University of Portsmouth. All it took was 15 minutes. I feel like we all need a friend that's going to take us to a civil engineering lecture. <laughs> Honestly, and a lecturer I'd... as well. No, I know. I've never heard anyone speak so passionately about bridges. And I remember earlier in that week, there was like an area where there was no bridge. And then the next morning there was a bridge there. And I was like, how do they do that? Like, how do they do this overnight? I didn't even know they did construction overnight. And the lecturer kind of like explained <laughs> it's called launching. They can do it in like eight hours overnight. And I was like, wow. So it was from then I was wow. like, took more interest in my environment in those 15 minutes. And I was like, I need to know more about this. We could all have a friend like that. Or we could all just follow you, Mimi, on Twitter. Because I feel like oh. this is you and concrete. I don't know if Carla knows. Oh, yes. I don't know if listeners know. We will t we will shout out Mimi's Twitter by the end. <laughs> but you are the concrete lady. You are so much the concrete lady that I remember Mimi got onto ITV. So, you know, when you're watching the TV and in ITV in between, they've got the kind of the different ways that ITV show graphics. And I guess they don't sponsor the podcast. So, you know, other great <laughs> channels exist. But they had Mimi Creates, I want to call it. ITV Creates. 
yeah, concrete thing on TV. That's how much you're passionate about concrete. It's not the subject of this podcast, <laughs> no. but I want to give you an opportunity, Mimi. But let's so, hear the concrete elevator pitch. Again, it was a lecturer at university. She was so, so passionate. And I remember sitting in a lecture and I was thinking, how is anyone passionate about concrete? Like, why, like, why is this even a thing? But because she was so into it, I was so into it. So back to the ITV thing. When they said, okay, you know, we want you to showcase your job on ITV alongside an artist and see how you can marry the two of your um, careers together. I remember saying to the guy, no matter what we're doing, it's going to involve some concrete. Like, I don't care what we do as long as it involves some concrete. He did some illustration. He did some really wonderful illustrations on the ITV logo. So he made the logo out of concrete and he did some really wonderful African art on the front of it. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen not being biased because it was made of concrete or am I I mean but, <laughs> but honestly it was beautiful it was just... enough that the ITV had it on TV kind of almost throughout the whole day right so yeah it was definitely beautiful concrete aside yeah thank you and I just felt it's just kind of see the versatility of concrete people only see it in buildings as if they even notice it in a building people only see it in buildings and stuff I said you know what concrete can do a number of things and it can be molded in so many different ways including in the ITV logo so I just thought let me showcase you know something I love and maybe people will learn something new about concrete just from looking at this logo And there we have it. I can hear everyone in the distance running to go and sign up to study concrete at university. Uh, For anyone who is already a graduate, which is maybe why they're listening to this episode of Stamet Say What, we are going to delve into our first what. So in each episode, we have four big what's relating to the topic. So let's head into our first what. Now we are talking about what to expect as a graduate in the job market you were a graduate, you have a job, you entered the job market not that long ago. What are some good things to do at any new job? We can say, especially as a graduate, what are some good places to start with that? Understand the company. Going from university, just going from, you know, just studying and being with your friends constantly to going into the job market can be really daunting. You study a degree, I found later that that doesn't mean I know everything about my job. At that point, it's not just about your job. It's also about the working environment and the company that you're in, especially the company that you're in, especially if you're going to be there for a number of years. Most graduate schemes are about two to three years. I always say if you are going to be somewhere, you should really understand the company, whether that be reading the company policies, whether that be the HR policy, reading your job description again and again whilst you're there, going out to meet the people. So your manager, the people that your manager also manages, other people in the office as well doing the different roles and see how that actually combines with your role as well. And importantly, know where the toilets are and kind of like the fire escape and all that kind of stuff. Those are really important things. I remember my second day, I said, do you know what, where is the toilet? Then I realised I hadn't actually gone to the toilet because I was so anxious on the first day. You know, it's just those little things. I think just kind of make yourself comfortable in your environment, understand the office, understand where things are, like the toilet, understand who you'll be working with. How do you tie the line between like, which people are my friends, which people are my colleagues, who are my mentors? How do you navigate that? How I did it was, first and foremost, normally your manager will introduce you to the different people in your office. They will normally say, okay, you know, I've 
slightly introduce you to these people, maybe go and ask them for a coffee, you know, book it in their diary, that kind of thing. People will be willing to do that. And then I think through those conversations, you'll find the kind of relationship that that person wants to have with you. But then you can also be quite open and honest and say, I've heard about you through our management. I've seen the work that you do. I'm really interested in the line of, I don't know, the line of engineering that they're working in um, or the line of STEM or whatever that they're working in your office. You're really interested in their work. Would you mind if I can shadow you for a, for a few days or if I can, we can sit down and talk about your work, that kind of thing. And I think from there, you can able to pick up the relationship that you want from them. But then you, should, I think as well, it's important to be quite clear. Some people, you can pick up on their personality, the way that they want to navigate the workspace. Just because you want it a certain way doesn't mean that they want that certain way too. And I think that's very important to understand because I think when you come from university where most people are willing to meet new people, want to have fun, want to get the degree out the way, everyone is kind of in that same mindset. But when you get to work, um, there are different things affecting people at that point as well. People have families, people have all of these different things. So the way they navigate the workspace will be different. So I think just sitting down, having those conversations, or if there is somebody that you are inspired by in those first few days at work, being quite direct with those people and having those conversations. But just by talking to them, you'll see the kind of relationship that they want with you or how they are interacting with others in the office anyway. I mean, I just did an internship and I found it really strange that I could just ask people to give me some of their time. and They would give it to me. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> oh, the, they were like really friendly people are happy to kind of speak to you if you ask them questions like yeah I think generally I found in my experiences obviously it's not the same experiences for everybody that people have been willing to have that conversation with me and sometimes they offer up their own mentorship whether that be formal or informal it's just quite nice to kind of just sit down with people and just understand why they're in the workplace why they're doing what they're doing and not everything is kind of like a given like take 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 but what you can learn from them but in terms of mentorship as well I think what people also tend to forget is that when you join the workplace, if you're a graduate engineer, for example, there's an assistant engineer who's maybe just come off the graduate scheme. It's not always about being mentored by the, the highest person in the room. It's that horizontal mentorship as well. So speaking to people who have done the graduate scheme, probably done the jobs that you're already going to be doing and asking them how they navigated the workspace. I think it is about being open and it is about asking questions, which I feel it's quite funny because it's almost like freshers week. Like If you're in the graduate job market, right, you it's like you're a fresher again. And you remember like freshers week is always like, oh gosh, okay, what subjects did you do okay what course are you studying okay where's your rules or where's your college like it's that kind of thing of like you almost start again (laughs) and do freshers week it's just this time you're a little bit older and it's not your first time away from home and you know all the rest of that kind of stuff I remember my I mean the graduate market is very different from how it was when I graduated because I'm a little bit older than all of us here on the podcast and in the room I remember being a graduate on an 18 month graduate scheme and we had two rotations so I was a graduate in technology at a big bank called Deutsche Bank what was your graduate role what did your grad scheme look like and I want to ask that because it's also then there will be elements of it that actually if there's rotations and that means you're able to ask those questions to different teams within it and you have to be kind of aware of that but also you know, I was really fortunate in that we had grads in my department, but then there are also other grads across the bank in lots of different departments. So you almost had like a ready network of friends almost to choose from. Maybe not everyone has to be your friend because that's a lot of friendships to maintain while you're also starting a job and being an adult. Hmm. But it was nice because it was kind of ready made. Was that the kind of experience that you had? And what was your graduate role? My graduate role was a highways engineer at a company called WSP. 
So the graduate scheme was three years long. Um, however, I only did one of those years, but the graduate scheme was three years long. In the office that I was in, I was the only graduate at first. But the same as you, Anne-Marie, that we had like a massive network of graduates. So when we first joined the company, I think maybe two weeks later, we were sent to Birmingham to have like this really fancy event where we all met all the graduates across the country. And we had this lovely dinner. We stayed in a hotel for three days. We did all of these team bonding activities, which was really nice because, like I said, I was the only graduate in my office. So... I needed to meet other people who were on my same level just so I could like, you know, kind of like that, that kind of getting the advice and seeing what other people are doing. Then in my office, although I was the only graduate, there was a buddy system. So I was paired up with another lady. She was quite senior to me. So but if I did have any issues, she usually did answer them. And then we also had like this HR representative, which will come down quite often and say, you know, this is how the company works. This is what we're doing. This is what the next step for the graduate program is. This is what you'll be doing going forward. There was no rotations in my graduate scheme, unfortunately, but I did like the department I was in. So I actually didn't mind that. And not having the rotations didn't mean I didn't meet people in other departments because engineering is collaborative working. I worked in the highways team. Yes. But I also met people who worked in bridges. I met all the people who worked in geotechnical engineering. I met all the people who worked in structures. All our work started to link together. So yes, there were also graduates in the different teams that I was able to speak to, or if there were times where they said, okay let's all meet together as a project we'll meet in the london office and we'll go for lunch and we'll discuss the project we'll have our presentations etc well i feel like it's a good time to kind of go on to our next what which is what are some goals we should aim for after kind of like a month in a new role number one for me was understanding the people in my office and the relationships that i will have with those people in my office my office only had 20 people in it. So yeah, it was quite easy to speak to all those 20 people. But maybe the people in your different project teams, understanding what their role is within your project team. So if you are having any issues, it's very important to kind of know who to ask those questions of, which I think is kind of a struggle sometimes in massive organisations. In massive organisations, people do so many different roles and it's like, okay, we're all on this team, but you'll find later that maybe not a lot of people know what each independent person's role is. So sometimes you end up doing more than your job description sometimes because you're not sure who is doing what. So I think one thing is definitely identify who is doing what so you know who to ask the questions of so you don't burn yourself out. Number two would be understanding your office structure who is the top of the office, who is able to answer like your high level questions, who is able to show you around the different things. If you need any support and advice, for example, if you're going for professional qualification, who you can speak to in your office, maybe how long they've had been professionally qualified, where they're professionally qualified and all those things. Number three, understanding your position within the office. I think that is probably one of the most important things. Who you are in the office, what your job description is, and who is going to help you to be successful in the job that you're doing? I think that's a useful one. I think the, the other one as well for me, learning the jargon, right? Because I feel like that's the other thing. Joining a new organisation, it can be like learning a new language. Even if you learn a new language at university because you did a language course or you learned a new language at university <laughs> because you did a STEM course because, you know, Lord knows, I did four years of maths and we didn't write a single number, right? It was all Greek and everything else. And I think it was definitely the same as a grad where there were all these TLAs, three-letter acronyms. <laughs> like sometimes it's like he said a Hufflepuff and you're like, what is a Hufflepuff? Like, did he really say Hufflepuff? So I think that's the other thing that is quite a good one after a month. I remember 
literally having like a notebook and I at the at the back I'd just write down all these things every time they'd happened or I'd write it down in a meeting when someone said it and then I'd have to ask my manager or ask a buddy because we have buddies too or ask someone and be like yeah when they said I don't know green dollar blue dollar what what is a green dollar and what is a blue dollar like what 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 is that something else that really helped in my first couple of weeks when I was a bit nervous was I booked one-to-one meetings with my manager quite often. So we also had jargon, um, a lot of jargon. I was kind of like, I don't even know what this person's even talking about. I'd be in the meeting just staring quite blankly. But when I had those one-to-one meetings with my manager, that's when I get out those notebooks. I still have those notebooks, by the way, and I've been working for five years. I would have those one-to-one meetings with my manager and I'll say, okay, over the last few days, this is what's happened. I have no idea what X, Y, and Z is. And in those half an hour, one hour meetings, I felt comfortable because number one, there wasn't like loads of people in the room who I thought were listening to everything that we were talking about. And number two, the workflow understanding is kind of having some sort of relationship with the manager to ask the questions that you may feel uncomfortable to ask. He or she should answer them. More on like that relationship with your manager. What's your advice on kind of impressing them? I remember when I was joining my company, this is maybe a few months in when I've now understood where I stand in the office and what my job role was, bringing up the Myers-Briggs personality test, just because I wanted to understand like where everyone sat. So the Myers-Briggs personality test is essentially a series of questions and it tells you your personality type. So I thought, okay, this is a really good way for me to understand how I'm going to interact with people in the office. And it's importantly, my manager to see what kind of personality type he was. So I remember getting those results and saying, okay, my manager is really interested in output results, creativity. He wants people who are going to bring solutions to things and all that kind of stuff. And I went, right. I know exactly how I'm going to try and impress him. But I think another way I did that as well was I kind of sat down with him and said, okay, what are you expecting of me in my role at this moment in time? I've been here for two months, three months. What is the goal for my role in the next three to four months that are coming forward? I would kind of make sure I was, you know, in line with those. If there was any more I could do, I would say, okay, I'm working on this part of the project, but I'm actually really interested in the next stage of the project too. Um, and I know that's what you're working on. Can we sit down together and we can look at it and analyze the situation? And I can see how you would solve that problem. So the next time that problem arises, maybe at the stage before this, so where I'm solving the problem, maybe I can look further ahead and say, okay, I'm resolving the problem on my level, but also for your side too, because I've used the method that you would have used to solve the next side of the problem. That's pretty like the height of proactivity, isn't it? To to, to make your manager do a psychology test <laughs> and then craft your your workflow after that. Incredibly smart. It's incredibly uh, strategic, you. and I think yeah. it's incredibly Sorry. why 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 Mimi's incredible for this podcast. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> something you have as a feature. It's definitely one of the things I remember the most actually from our grad training time was all these tests that we did do yes. psychology and psychometrics, and every now and then actually they do it across the organisation. We did Tetramap, like we did one that mm-hmm. was like yellow and red and blue and green and all that so there's lots lots going on so I think also take advantage of all those training opportunities and those times to ways to kind of know yourself at that point it's meant to be reflective rather than you know using it to like I don't know you know get a tattoo or whatever like you know base your whole life off it but yeah really really important Um, I wanted to pick up a little bit on something else you mentioned earlier Mimi um, especially because it also is something that does happen often around grad time and in particular parts of STEM is this idea of professional qualifications. And so, you know, I know a lot of them are experience-based versus studying. Some of them you do still have to study and do assessments. Like what's it like shifting 
from you know studying in the traditional sense if you're a grad as well having come from a apprenticeship or maybe a degree and rolling onto your grad scheme but then also needing to do a professional qualification alongside working like what does that look like what was that like what is that like you're still going on that journey of certification right yes so the journey from being a student to being a graduate working is interesting because at university there's a set goal the set goal was to attain a certain grade and go to the next year but then when you start working that's not there you have to kind of you have to be very self-driven and you kind of have to want to get the promotion you have to want to be professionally qualified and there's not really a a structure for that if there is a structure it's a structure that you have to make your, make yourself and that motivation has to constantly be there and that was something that I struggled with when I first started coming to work I was like okay wait what am I doing here? Because there's no structure. Every, everything's down to me. And I was like, ah, I'm being an adult. Oh my God. Like I've got to make my own decisions and I've got to, you know, make sure that I'm progressing and there's no one holding my hand anymore. And my lecture is no longer here. And my friends who were, you know, severely holding me down at university are no longer working with me. I said, okay, right. I really want to be professionally qualified. I'm going to motivate myself to do so. How did I do that? I think, you know, what's really important with that is having the support. I understand sometimes at work, it's quite difficult to balance two things at the same time. But if you have a supportive team where most, I remember being a graduate, a lot of people were professionally qualified. So I think that really helped because it kind of motivated me to want to do this. And they were like, Mimi, you have to do this. And I was like, I have to do this. I know. Part of our graduate training actually was that by the end of it, you had to have a certain level of professional qualification. And within our graduate training scheme, every so often we had workshops, writing classes where we'll sit down and write about our experiences for the, to get the professional qualification. So I'm with the Institution of Civil Engineers where there's nine attributes that you have to meet. Well, nine characteristics of a civil engineer they want you to show. And within these graduate workshops, they would cover each nine in the different workshops that we had. And that was another way that I structured my work life. So around these nine attributes, I would gain certain experiences for some of them. And the ones that I felt like I wasn't gaining the experience in, I would say, go to my manager and say, hey, I know you want me to be chartered. In order to be chartered, I need experience in sustainable development. And he'll say, ah, right, we really want you to be chartered. It's part of your goals on the graduate scheme. So yeah, we'll give you those experiences. And it was kind of from then that it helped me map my career. I started to understand, okay, this is what I can get from this job. If I'm no longer feel like I'm exhausting the experiences that I'm getting here, maybe not, maybe not so much learning so much anymore. I'm no longer reaching the different characteristics for the engineer. Maybe I'll go on to the next job or maybe I'll ask, not maybe you don't have to go into the next job. You'll maybe move departments. And that's what's really helped me shape my career. Like if you, anyone asks me, Oh Mimi, you know, how you do your career planning? I'll say, I'm using my professional registration to do my career planning. I'm using that to map what experiences I need training gaps in my knowledge I may have and if I need to speak to my manager and stuff like that I feel like that also kept our communication going as well. So I know a lot of grad schemes include these professional qualifications as part of what you do in your two years 18 months or whatever if you're in a grad scheme which doesn't do you think that's something that you should be asking your company to perhaps fund or support you through and then also if even if they're not funding it, if it is something you're trying to do whilst juggling a job, how do you kind of navigate trying to ask for that time and that flexibility to be studying? 
yes, I think that it definitely is something if your graduate scheme doesn't offer that, that you should ask of the organization. Something that I always um, say to myself is if you don't ask, you don't get. If that person does not exist in your company, this is why I think sometimes mentorship is really important and forming a community outside of work as well, because you can say, okay, I may not be able to get this support within the company. Maybe they don't recognize chartership for whatever reason or this external professional qualification that you're going for. You can actually ask a mentor outside or maybe if you're joining a community outside, for example, STEMET, for example, the different ones that are available, maybe they will know somebody who has done this professional qualification and be able to support you in the way that maybe your organization won't be able to. Or you can go to the institution that you are trying to be professionally qualified with and ask them for that support and that advice. And maybe they can help you along the way or maybe inform that relationship with your company that they didn't have before. I love all of that. I love the subtle Stamets plug there. <laughs> I mean, I should finish the plug by saying, you know, there's, we have our certification academies uh, almost every half term, basically on Python agile and cyber on a rotation so we definitely have things that would be relevant i mean agile is relevant for pretty much any grad in just understanding projects and prioritizations and how all those things come together but also yeah don't ask don't get and i think you, you should definitely like if it's not part of the pathway for your part of stem or steam then have a look and see what other options are but again without overloading yourself too much which brings us to our third what mimi we've talked a lot about work You've got all the tips, the tricks, the techniques, the strategic aims to, you know, make everything work double time for you. What is your work-life balance like? And I know some people don't like that term. So what is your life balance, I'm going to say, like? Because I'm quite proactive and I really like to get involved in a number of things, work-life balance fluctuate depending on the week, depending on the month, depending on the year, also just depending on how I'm feeling. So I try to do the nine to the nine to five or the eight to four. That's how we do it at my organization. And then after that, I will do things I enjoy. I'll read a book. I'll, you know, watch TV. Um, I, you know, listen to a podcast and just kind of like wind down completely. But if there are like things I'd like to be involved with, so for example, there's loads of communities I'm part of. I do loads of presentations to schools and colleges. I kind of just map that evenly within the month that I'm doing. I remember when I first started, when I joined my graduate scheme, there were so many things that were available and so many things I wanted to change about the workplace. So I was like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to do everything. And then I started to realize maybe that wasn't the best. I started to say maybe no to a few more things, um, really planning out my time saying, you know, I'm only going to do, I don't know, three to four engagements a month, three to four external things a month and mapping out the exact hours I was doing things. Work-life balance is just something that people have to keep in mind. I know loads of workplaces will say, yeah, we're really, we're really on work-life balance. But then sometimes the actual environment may not reflect that. So it's really important that you are aware of what is going on in your workplace and what is going on in your life and externally from you know your personal life as well and understanding how to navigate that because what I say to people that I mentor and that I manage is that you are a human being you have emotions you have feeling you you know you do get tired you know night is for sleeping that kind of thing but just be aware of how you're feeling and keep that at the forefront of your mind if you are feeling if something feels a bit off it probably is and really pay attention to that. The other thing I do have to say on this, which I know won't be on many grad schemes now, but, you know, I don't know how far into the future folks are listening into this is, you know, it's the best we're doing a four day work week. We work very flexibly. We work very remotely. But also, we don't work on Fridays. But I think from where I'm sat, it's not because it is about balance, but it's also because as a boss, 
my people do better when they've got like headspace to just think about stuff and do other things and get creative. And often it will be you're like, I don't know, hiking or painting some art, right? Or doing your errands. And then all of a sudden the problem you've been trying to work out at work kind of comes to you. And it's not that you're on the clock or not on the clock, or I want them to be thinking about work when they're not, but it's the same way like when you exercise and you need a rest day for to make the gains. And I think it's that kind of thing that it's a balance. And um, we have a really great question here from a listener. She's called Samaya. Hey, Samaya. And she wants to know, does working from home make it more difficult to maintain work-life balance? Do you know what? Yes and no. Yes, because you're kind of in the comfort of your home working. So you just feel naturally that I can do many things whilst working now. So if I go past six, I can kind of counteract it with the fact I went for a run this afternoon. I went to wash the dishes. I did my laundry, that kind of thing. But again, I think it's that boundary. Yes, working from home means you maybe, it feels like you can multitask. But again, I still feel it's important to have boundaries in place. At the end of the day, it's still working. It's still your mental health. It's still your mental space. Maybe some people don't have the luxury of having like a study. They'll be doing it in their room. So their room becomes their office, it becomes their, their sleeping space. It becomes their, their quiet down place. So if that is the situation, I think it's really important to set those boundaries and say, this is where I'm ending. And this should be it. And also maybe having that discussion with your manager and saying, okay, well, I know we work from home now, but this is where I'm going to end each day. Something that I do in my calendar, actually, so everybody can see, is say, I'm stopping at this time. Uh, There's a hard stop at 5 p.m. It's usually at 5 or 6 p.m., depending on how I've started the workday. I say I'm hard stopping at this time. And I'm going to usually send out a list of say, this is the things I'm going to do today. And I'm going to end at this time. And I remember actually, which I think is a good sign of line management. It was 5.30 p.m. And I told them I was going to stop at 5 p.m. My manager sent me a message message and said, Mimi, it's now 5.33 and six seconds. And you are still here. What's going on? What were you not able to finish in the time that you said you were going to finish? Which is good because that means my manager is appreciating the boundaries that I've put in for myself as well. In my internship, we'd have these team meetings and some of the team were based in the US. And there was one guy who they kept saying, like, he should not be here. Like, he should be asleep. Please, can he be asleep? And every now and then he'd be in the meeting and it was like 3 a.m. in New York or wherever he was. (laughs) The whole management team were like, please, please sleep. (laughs) Like, please don't be here. I think a lot of people maybe find it hard to find that balance. Our last what I think it's time for now, moving on from your graduate job. Like how long should you stay there? When is it time to leave? And how do you how do you know when to go? So in some graduate roles, that's quite an easy question. If the graduate role ends in three years, you finish in three years. Um, that's if you, you know, like the job and it's still serving you, that kind of thing. Then you will finish after three years and you progress on to the next stage of that company, whether that be assistant or whether that be management level, whatever that, that, that looks like in those different organizations. But I left my graduate scheme after one year. I left because... I felt like I just wanted to change. I wanted to try something different. And I knew that I was interested in something at university that I wanted to pursue. And I wasn't willing to let go of something I was passionate about because of the job I was doing. So I kind of said, okay, I want to work with concrete. I really do. Doing this job kind of reinforced to me that that is what I was passionate about. And I'm not going to let that go. It kind of depends like when you want to move on, is the job still serving you? Are you getting out what you want? Are you achieving something in that job? 
Are you getting the support that you need? Do you like the job? Importantly. But I think for me, it was more that passion. But I think if I was giving advice to somebody of when to move on from their job, if you feel like maybe the job is no longer doing what you want it to do, you've exhausted all the avenues, you've spoken to X, Y, and Z in the organization, and you feel like maybe, okay, it may be, it may be good to start looking elsewhere. And I think that is okay. Just when the job stops, no longer serves you, then it's okay to kind of leave. How do you leave a job in the best way possible? I mean, as a grad scheme, like you said, if you roll off, it makes it slightly easier, but it still doesn't, you still have to have that conversation to say, I'm not going to stay on because presumably they've taken you on as a grad and they want you to, to maybe kind of graduate into um, an experience higher kind of role. What's the mechanics of leaving that job in the best way possible? The best way possible could be very questionable, but I can say how I did it. When I knew I was ready to leave my job, before I handed in my notice, etc., I had a few conversations with my manager about what I was feeling and what I was experiencing before I handed in my notice. So I said, okay, um, this is what I'm feeling within the job. This is where I think I may be lacking in certain areas where I think maybe the company or the organization may not be able to help me anymore. And for that reason, I'm handing in my notice. And I think if you have a good relationship with your manager, they would want you to succeed and they would want better for you. Well, they should. They should. For example, when I spoke to my manager about it, I just sat him down and said, I want out of respect of, of, of what I'm about to say, I wanted to have this conversation with you first, but I'm leaving because of X, Y, and Z. And this is where I think my passions lie is not in this area that we're working in. I actually want to do work and do this. And he said to me, do you know what I mean? That's really interesting because when we were working on certain projects, I noticed that you were interested in the concrete aspects of things. This definitely makes sense. And I mean, in terms of that next step, how do you kind of balance job hunting while working? Another question from Samaya is, should you have a job already lined up before you leave? I extended my boundary. So I told you I did the nine to five. So I did, I extended my time till nine till seven. So I had two hours to kind of look for jobs, change my CV, maybe see if I was going to have some meetings with people to kind of like the recruitment companies to kind of understand the role, et cetera. How to balance that depends on the time that you have available. I remember actually watching somebody at my one of my previous jobs doing it during their lunch break. Fine. I mean, if that's what serves them, okay. I think finding the time that's best for you. Some people do that in the night. Some people do that after working. But for me, I found it best just so that I'm not going into my downtime um, was to do it after work. And I think sometimes you can get obsessed with looking for new jobs and finding the, the next opportunity. But I think it's important to take time to do that because I think sometimes what happens is when people maybe aren't happy somewhere in the job, they just rush to the next opportunity without thinking, oh, is the company different? Do they have a different structure? Is the training opportunities better? Will the people be better? That kind of thing. And have some non-negotiables in what you're looking for in your next job. Because that's what I did. I said, okay, this is what happened here. But so that's my non-negotiable, the next job. I want to be trained every couple of months or every year or whatever that whatever that looked like to that organization. And I want to make sure there is someone to support me to do X, Y, and Z. Should you have a job before lined up for leaving your current job? I think that is totally dependent on your situation. If you are maybe not able to deal with the job that you're currently in and you feel like you have to leave for your mental sanity, for your mental health, et cetera, then maybe that the, the right choice for you is to leave that job before finding something different. Personally, for me at the time, I was not able to not have a job before going into the next one just because I had bills to pay, basically. But even if actually what I did for me 
was, yes, I made sure I had a new job before I left my previous one, but I also had a gap, a good gap between leaving my new job and starting the next one. So just to kind of like get some breathing space, really understand what I want from this job, how I'm going to set my boundaries, learning from my previous job. I took three weeks out before I started the next one, just to kind of make sure I was number one, had some downtime. Number two, was in the right mindset to start a new job. And number three, understood my career path from that point forward. And again, back to professional registration, I was trying to be professionally qualified. So I had to take all of my experiences from my previous job and make sure that I was up to date in my professional registration before I was able to move to the next one. So I used a lot of that time to kind of clean up from leaving my previous job and mentally getting into the, getting into the mental space to go into the next one. But to answer that question directly again, please assess your situation before you make that decision where you're going to leave your job completely and not have another one, or if you're just going to go into the next one. But if you do need a break, you can take a gap between those two jobs, even if you have another one lined up. I think, yeah, definitely do risk it. That's why they have the effort fund. But I feel like that's all that and non-negotiables are all a a topic for another podcast. So we'll end and close things here. Thank you so much for your time today, for all your tactics, all your techniques. I feel like we've got kind of so many major keys from you today. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do, including the concrete? Although I know you've slightly moved on from concrete now. I am on Instagram and Twitter at engineermimi underscore and I'm on LinkedIn as Mimi Mosu. You've been listening to Stemet Say What, a podcast brought to you by Stemet. To find out more about Stemet, visit stemets.org. That's S-T-E-M-E-T-T-E-S dot org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn and YouTube via the handle again stemats don't forget to subscribe to the show do it now do it now so you'll get the latest episode of stemats say what in your feed as soon as it's released and while you're there leave a review and let us know what you thought i'm carla rosario and i'm amri mathedon bye for now this podcast is produced by unedited